Welcome to Story Comic Presents, where we interview amazing storytellers and artists. This is episode 335. I'm your host, Barney Smith of StoryComic.com, and we're excited to have back with us the internationally acclaimed and award-winning filmmaker, Asif Akbar. Asif. Hey, Barney. Thank you for having me back on. Right. I mean, b- before, before we went live, we were talking about, like, you're back on way back in episode 67 back i think it was around almost late 2021 and now we're here 2024 episode 335 and it's it it's been a minute and since then you're you're on last time talking about your your movie the commando that that came out oh, now yeah. since then you've had mohav diamonds mr9 do or die which got great reviews clown motel and you're here now to talk about your latest your latest film, Skeletons in the Closet? Yes, well, that just released uh, this past uh, weekend on Shudder and AMC+. Plus, and, uh, nice. um, you know, that movie was actually interesting enough. Shot back in 2021, I believe, in, in April of 2021. And, wow. uh, uh, or no, I'm sorry. Not, I have so many movies, it's... Uh, <laughs> curse of the clown motel that was shot in april 2021 this one was shot march april of 2022 Um, okay it's interesting they're both kind of coming out at the same time uh curse of the clown motel i just saw it released um in theaters uh overseas in the middle east all over the middle east it's playing in theatrical right now and um skeletons in the closet also released theatrically in the middle east last week so that's also playing in some theaters in the middle east Uh, so they're both kind of playing at the same time internationally and um and i heard today that they're going to be getting ready to release the curse of the clown motel domestically coming up in the next uh, couple months i guess and um you know we have mr9 that released theatrically last august but that was only Bangladesh and North America with limited theatrical. Now um, we have a new edit of that, kind of like a director's cut, new version that's going to be going up worldwide and, you know, the mass distribution coming up end of April. Um, and then, you know, I, I'm in post-production right now with uh, Boneyard that's uh, scheduled to come out last uh, later, sometime later this year, I think. Right. That's amazing, Asif. No, one question that you know some of the folks that might be asking this question is like you you sometimes you'll see something that's like this is a director's cut, and then, so the question would come up was like, well, how come the first cut wasn't the director's cut? What, who was the, who was the one that actually had the final say to like then cut the 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 original film, and then and then what was to be the purpose of having a director's cut later? That's a really good question because. Um... It's something that's very common in the industry that uh, most times uh, uh, the audience doesn't think about. But, you know, when we deliver a film to a distributor, there's many factors involved. It's not just the director's movie and the director's vision. You know, there's a director's cut and then there's a producer's cut, there's a distributor's cut. So there's a lot of uh, notes that come in and a lot of factors we have to consider 
for certain territories and uh, certain distributors. And so we end up sometimes getting multiple versions. Um, but usually when we do the master delivery, we'll have a locked picture that everyone kind of signs off on. And then we go ahead and do all the bells and whistles and finish post and deliver that. Um, in this case, it was a little, um, uh, you know, a unique situation with MR9 uh, compared to some of my other films where we have the distributors all set to go and then we know a delivery deadline. And we know what we need to deliver to who and we do that. In uh, MR9's case, we've had multiple distributors that were, uh, you know, piecemealed. Like, you know, we had a theatrical distributor, we had, you know, certain foreign distributors that needed certain things. And because it's an international film, um, that's also based on a long-running book series, uh, the Masograna book series. Um, there were uh, different um, elements that we had to make sure we incorporated for, you know, different territories and the different audiences. Mm. Um, but ultimately, you know, the first release that we did was more of like a producers slash distributors theatrical cut that uh, catered towards. Um, more of the Bangladeshi South Asian audiences. Okay. Um, and it was a little bit more of an extended cut. Then we cut it down, trimmed some of the fat and, um, you know, fixed up some of the VFX and certain things that we were kind of rushed into doing the first time around because we had to release it within a certain time. Um, but now, you know, we were able to fix a lot of those things and, and properly, you know, take the time to, get it ready for the mass audience. You, the Skeletons in a Closet, you didn't write that one. You directed that one, correct? Uh, correct, yeah. So um, I was one of the producers, and I ended up directing it. Um, and uh, the writer, um, there were multiple writers on there, and the, the story was conceived by Al Bravo, you know, who I've collaborated with on many other films. And Al actually had this uh, story and script circulating for... Uh, several years now uh, i was attached on it uh six seven years ago and then we did other projects that ended up happening and then it kind of ended up coming full circle later um you know with, uh, for many different reasons but then uh we ended up you know getting it made when the timing was right it's you know every project it's all about the right timing of you know all the elements falling into place for it to happen hmm. And how is it different? Uh, how is it different directing, uh, directing a product that you wrote as compared to directing something that somebody else wrote? Um, at the end of the day, you know, when I direct a, a script, uh, whether it's mine or someone else's, I always um, get very involved, hands-on. So, um, you know, you have to be passionate uh, for the story you're telling and, and believe in that story or at least um, acquire enough knowledge to be able to have the interest to, you know, showcase that vision and bring it to the screen. Um, you really have to fall in love with that concept and the story. So whenever I get someone else's script, I try to make it my own as much as possible. And, um, you know, obviously, I, as a director, I have a lot of contributions to, you know, how the final film is uh, being executed for screen and then obviously you know i have my vision and uh during the execution part of it all it's a collaborative effort from mm -hmm. the entire crew and team 
And so um, a lot of factors come into play when we shoot the film and then when we're in the post-production phase, um, you know, cer certain times, you know, we don't have um, the resources or the time, I would say, in most cases when you're up against a delivery deadline, um, you know, round two or take two can always be better, you know, and you can always perfect things with more time. But um, sometimes, you know, in the past uh, with certain films, we've had um, time limits and delivery deadlines that um, uh, compromised us in maybe finalizing the VFX the way we wanted it to be or, you know, do more with the music. And, you know, it's, it's mainly timing that comes down to being a challenge at the end of the day um, to really execute it the way it was on the script. And, and the thing is, it's never really translated on screen 100% from script. Uh, you always have to um, come up with plan, you know, B, C, and D if plan A doesn't work. Um, so the script is basically a guideline. At the end of the day, when we're shooting the movie on, on the spot, on location, on set, um, you know, we have to rewrite the script a lot of times. And so that's mainly in my hands and other producers and people that are there. We collaborate even with actors. And, um, you know, sometimes you end up having a different movie than what you started off with in the script. Hmm. So I would say, you know, um, it's definitely a collaborative process. What are some of the things that you're able to um, learn as a director while working during COVID that you've been able to implement now? Uh, well, the time management, you know, the one thing I was saying yeah. earlier is that the uh, timing is always a challenge. We yeah. usually it's, you know, uh, limited budget or limited time or, you know, both. And then it becomes even more challenging. But, uh, you know, the one thing, one of the things I could say, I, I got, you know, experience wise, the most filming during COVID is um, being able to definitely manage the time with the schedule and, you know, uh, be put against a, say, you know, film schedule that we have to now do in 12 days instead of 18 days and being able to figure out ways to manage and utilize the time we have to um, basically, um, you know, expand that. And so, like, for example, when we were doing Commando, um, we had like a 10-day schedule, which originally that movie was supposed to have an 18-day schedule. And then we ended up, you know, with pickups and everything doing it, I think, in 11 or 12 days. Um, but, you know, just being able to adapt to that situation and taking something that would take 18 days and making it in 10, 12 um, and cutting down the schedule, you know, as you're going, like a lot of these films we shot during the pandemic or during COVID where we had COVID protocols. And if, you know, we get shut down, we get shut down, then that affects the entire movie. You know, that's happened on, I think on Mojave Diamonds, we were shut down on the last week and we had to come back like a month later and shoot. So the risk factors go up. So sometimes, you know, you have to cut the schedule down, um, like with, a day or two's notice you know we had that incident even happen on the curse of palm motel you know originally it was like 17 days then we had to cut it down to 14 but on day 12 we realized we had to cut it down so 
um, that's where, again, uh, going back to the scripting, um, you know, I have to make it my own to be able to adapt to all these circumstances and rewrite the script and rework it to, um, you know, what we have to work with to get the job done at the end of the day and to deliver it. Because, you know, what, one thing we, uh, you know, have to remember as artists and directors and even actors and crew, um, we're here to do a job. It's a business and we have to deliver a product. Sure, it's my vision or the writer's vision or, you know, we're artists and we want to be perfect with our craft. But a lot of times it's just uh, about the delivery on time, mm. on schedule, on budget, and um, our hands get tied. You know, so uh, we have to do our job and make sure, you know, plan B and C and D are ready to, you know, being implemented if plan A doesn't work and keep the show going and deliver the right film within a deadline you know directors have their own sense of like maybe style or image or or, or visual what would you say is your trademark your style or, or, or visualizations that you put into your each of your films i would say you know realism you know i mm. like to have a lot of realism in my uh stories and movies and characters even the dialogue you know you'll you know notice that um I tend to not hold back. I, I like the characters to speak the way you would in real life or be, you know, put in a situation that um, we can all relate to in real life. So that's one thing I always try to keep that touch of realism, whether I do an action film, horror film, sci-fi, whatever. There's always those elements of real emotions and real humane connections um, and at the same time, you know, I like to keep it diverse project by project. My, the style, the technical styles of each project is different and caters to, you know, what that particular genre or story needs. Um, and I've been, um, you know, blessed to be able to um, have the opportunities to do different genres and different style of films where uh, I've been careful from uh, early on in my career to not get pigeonholed and boxed into being only a certain style director. Um, mm -hmm. I don't want people to be able to see my films and say, oh, that movie's, you know, uh, by a safe Akbar because the last one was like this. I want them to always have something different and even a different look, different style. Um, you know, and if, if they work, if they continue to work, then uh, hopefully, you know, I can keep experimenting also. But um, at the end of the day, we do have to follow a certain formula. And um, right now, you know, I, I'm having a lot of fun being able to diff do different styles and different genres. Maybe in the future, I'm going to have to, you know, focus on one particular style. But right now, you know, I, I'm just, you know, always trying to do what I haven't done, you know, before on the next one. Because you usually, uh, some of your films are either action oriented or horror oriented, and you, you've had a couple films that that came out that were separate to that in that genre. Like uh, initially, I, I I think about Ace and the Christmas Miracle. That right, yeah. kind of like come if you look at your list, that kind of like sticks out as compared to some of your other ones. Yeah, well, you know, I've always wanted to do a Christmas film and a kids film, and uh, it was one of those things. The opportunity just kind of came. Um, and I, you know, it was during the pandemic as well. And uh, it's one of those things where uh, I was in a pitch meeting and, um, you know, someone said, oh, uh, we need Christmas movies this year and we need uh, kids 
uh, Christmas movies or with talking or, or with cute animals. And then yeah. I had a script at that time from one of my friends that was a talking horse uh, adult comedy. And all of a sudden it clicked in my head and in the pitch I just mentioned, hey, guys, what about a talking horse kids Christmas movie? You know, just mm-hmm. like that. They just all jumped up and they're like, hey, let's get it made. And then we talked to the distributors, and which ended up coming out by Grindstone and Lionsgate. And um, so um, at that time, they needed that content. And so we basically um, took that talking horse adult comedy script, turned it into a kid's Christmas talking horse movie. And we were up and running in, I think, uh, less than a month already shooting the movie. And we got stuck in the middle of the pandemic. So uh, the schedule on that was cut down quite a bit you know i think we shot that movie all in like seven or eight days in in california and uh we were able to get that done but um that was you know a fun movie fun kids christmas movie and uh um it was definitely a good experience i've always loved working with animals and kids and uh you'll see in most of my movies uh i have animals or kids as well even if they're action or horror Right. And so, so talk to us about your latest film, then, uh, Skeletons in the Closet. What is that film about? So it's um, definitely a horror film, but it, it has def- different uh, subgenre elements of, you know, family drama, and, uh, you know, uh, kind of like a psychological, paranormal thriller. Um, it doesn't really have too many of those like traditional stereotypical jump scares that you expect like in, you know in every 10 minute beats or so um again it's going back to some realism and connections with uh, you know uh, uh, more of a like a wider range you know uh, uh, i guess population where you watch this and i feel like anyone in any country can kind of relate to this kind of a situation that the characters go through and also uh, the paranormal aspect of it where there's, um, you know, not, not not too much of religion involved, but there are some religious elements uh, that are blending in between, you know, mm. different cultures and religions that tie in with like the whole paranormal, spiritual, um, you know, uh, concept of what we're trying to do and then there's occult you know involved in it so it's it's a blend of uh different uh, you know horror films um and genres that uh we all kind of you know grew up watching and it's kind of like a throwback to an older classic style ghost story any directors from decades ago that have inspired you on on your on your direction absolutely i love um directors that are also innovators, you know, and that have contributed something in our industry that's uh, being used today or that's helping us as tools to also, you know, uh, experiment and try out and invent our own ways of telling stories. Um, So, you know, I mean, any director that's an innovator like James Cameron or Spielberg, you know, as far back as even Charlie Chaplin, you know, for his Mm. time. Um, so I've always been inspired by those that think outside of the box. And sometimes, you know, we have to work our way up um, to even get to a, a position as a director or filmmaker um, to be able to push the boundaries open and do something new, which, you know, we've seen uh, James Cameron do countless times on all his movies. You know, if, 
if the studios don't have a camera, he'll go spend 10 years and build a camera and make sure he gets it right. So that's always inspired me. And, uh, you know, someone like James Cameron started off doing, you know, um, Roger Corman films and Piranha 2 and then went to now (laughs) some of the best movies in the world in history. So um, I think it's about working your way up with what you have to work with and the team you have to work with. And, um, you know, basically um, keeping in mind that the sky is the limit here. You know, there are really no boundaries. You just have to kind of uh, work your way up and surround yourself with um, a team that's willing to level up with you. And that's my goal is to basically level up in, in the quality and, and uh, you know, the kind of projects that I do. Um, and so far, I've been blessed to be able to, you know, be able to kind of move up in, in the different mm-hmm films that I've been doing with the cast, you know, with the budgets, the distribution, and even the team that I'm working with. What are some of the skills and knowledges that you've implemented recently in Skeletons in the Closet and also Boneyard that you wished you knew back in five years ago? I would say actually that's a very interesting question because I've been thinking about that a lot lately. And I would say definitely being able to delegate um, you know, to uh, other departments before, you know, um, a lot of filmmakers are like this too. We want to take on as much as we can because, you know, it's our story, our vision. And, you know, uh, we wear, we try to wear multiple hats, which I've done many times over before. But, you know, when you go into doing some of the bigger movies and with, you know, more professional union crews and everything, you have to be able to, delegate and rely on that person or that department to be able to do their job 100%. And you can then focus more on, you know, what you need to do and not have to, you know, split yourself up in five different ways. Um, So that's been, um, you know, something that I've adapted into the last few years where it's like, okay, you know, I can let this person worry about this and let me worry about this 100%. At the end of the day, I still sign it off. But, you know, at least I'm not stressing over it. So I've been able to, I guess, um, manage that a little better as we've been doing bigger projects. How is it directing new actors as compared to ones that you've worked with in, in before in the past? Um, there was always, you know, uh, definitely a, uh, 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 an established chemistry there with actors that I've already worked with. You know, a lot of times, um, uh, when I write a script, I'll write with that actor in mind already. And then I just go for that actor, whether I know them or not. And um, I usually don't do auditions myself as a director. I, I, I'll look at, you know, maybe some tapes here and there, but I usually know um, what that actor's capable of by just, you know, interacting with them or talking to them or getting to know them. And then that way I can shape the characters around that or i can know you know if they're right or wrong for a character that's already there set so um for me it's more about you know the personality of that person and obviously the skills uh, you know have to be there as an actor but if if you have a general skilled actor um you know for a director it's our job to be able to collaborate work with them and get them to you know, act and deliver a performance, you know, close to the vision that we have. Um, so 
it's about that person having the skill set, general skill set of acting and being able to follow direction and at the same time being able to contribute creatively um, as well as an artist. And, you know, of all uh, have the personality to be able to, you know, be a team player and work easily. At, at what point is something considered pre-production until is is it when you still have things to film or is then all of a sudden post-production is when all the filming is done and it's just the editing piece? Yeah. I mean, so uh, uh, production is when we're filming and then post-production, usually you have everything filmed, but then during post-production, sometimes maybe you uh, find out that you need a shot here and there, or you need to reshoot something, then you can go back for pickups or reshoots. Um, but it's typically, it's yeah, I mean, pre-production is up until you get into shooting and then shooting is production. And then after you're done shooting, when you're assembling, editing, putting everything together, that's, you know, the post-production side. And then once you're done with post, then you start the delivery to the distributors. And then, you know, obviously there's the release and marketing and all of that. So um, it's a process, definitely different phases. Uh, <laughs> uh, and it has to go because I see you have um, that zero sum game and Father of the Nation; those are in pre-production now. Um, so Father of the Nation is something that we started a while back uh, doing development on, and uh, we have the script and everything. But again, for timing and many other reasons, that one's kind of shelved at the moment. Uh, zero sum game is a film that I'm um, uh, starting to develop right now at the moment. I have the script; it's something that I wrote. Um, and also, um, there's some other scripts that I'm in development and, and starting to prep on for hopefully shooting this year. And so how does that work? Do you have to publicly, like, not like publicly announce when you have something in pre-production or can you keep things well, you close to the vest? To, and... uh, it's always project basis. You don't have to, um, it depends on. Okay. You know, involved, what stage it's at, how it's being packaged and. You know, but every project we, you know, treat differently. But it's, you know, not not that something that we have to announce. Uh, right. It literally looks like you do two movies a year. It looks like. At least, yeah, I've been blessed. To be <laughs> and, you know, it looks like, um, yeah, you know, two movies a year is ideal. Some years I've had to do four or five, and you know, it gets to be um a tough. But uh, you know, again, it, it, we're in a day and age where content is king, and. Uh, we don't have enough of it because of all the streamers and everything, which is a good thing. So I encourage more and more creators to come, you know, join the pack and, uh, you know, let's uh, just keep, you know, making movies. How do you, how do you find a director if, if somebody wants to um, um, have a story they want to tell? A lot of factors involved, obviously, you know, it took me almost two decades to get to where I am. Um, yeah. And like I said, you can't just be a creator and artist and director. You have to be a businessman, treat this like mm -hmm. a business and uh, learn as much as you can be humble. Just keep creating content. Don't wait for the opportunity. You have to basically make your own opportunities. Just, you know, make a film with whatever you have. If you have to go crowdfund, if you have to go get favors from friends, or if you have to put in your own money, just make something so you can show something and then, you know, open more doors and always, mm -hmm. you know, make your own opportunities because in this business, it's one of the most competitive fields and everyone can make a movie nowadays. You can have a cell phone and make a movie. And so 
um, you have to really be a good businessman at the same time and be able to offer the whole package, um, you know, right. to be commercially, you know, successful or get that attention from distributors to see, okay, this person has a unique package or unique, you know, work style or whatever it is, you have to be able to just, uh, you know, keep it going and, and don't right. limit yourself, you know, don't say, oh, I need to have this budget to this, to do this or that. You have to, at the end of the day, work with what you have and deliver. Right. Perfect. Well, Asif, if people want to learn more about your work, uh, where's the best place they could go to? Um, IMDB. A lot of times, you know, my Instagram, uh, Asif Akbar underscore, you know, filmmaker. Uh, I update there. My Facebook, I'll update there. Um, you know, but uh, a lot of times, you know, um, uh, I, I market like I am now with the new movies, you know, on my social media. And then Facebook, right. uh, Instagram, they're there, but IMDb is usually updating on, yeah. you know, if the film is out or not. Yeah. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Asif. And listen, you're going you're gonna to have to come back on when you have Boneyard coming out. Yeah, sure thing. I'll keep you posted. Thank you so much. Uh, it's been a pleasure. All right. You're